it's always been my experience that as I began over the years of practice, really, to understand more profoundly what the premise of this practice is, what it is, why it is that I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing, to the degree that I understood what motivated this practice, to that degree was I practicing with more zeal. You know, if you think about it all of a sudden to say, come to a different place, sit down, and all day long make wishes for your well-being. That's a weird thing to do in the context of what we know as our lives. Unless it's set in the understanding that um, it's possible for us as human beings uh, to really actuate in our own lives the, the, the wish of the, f- the first line of one of our primary metta chants is, may I be free of enmity and danger. I love that. I think about that. The, the, the profound promise is that I could have a mind that was free of the danger of falling into negativity, falling into an aversive reaction to my life, to the people in it. The promise that I could radiate love that we read about in the Metta Sutta, radiating kindness over the entire world, it's important, if we haven't said it yet, that this doesn't mean liking everybody. It means being kind in one's mind, not having an aversive reaction to that. May all beings be at ease. That's the wish. And the important thing for me to remember and to always remember is that the principal beneficiary of my well-wishing is not whoever I'm thinking about that I am wishing towards. I am the principal beneficiary of my well-wishing. If you think about it, we're vibe machines, and here we are giving out a certain kind of uh, message to the world from our very being. The paradigmatic image of that uh, is one I love. You find it a lot in uh, children's coloring books, in, uh, in Buddhist uh, uh, in places where people are interested in the story of the Buddha. And they uh, often have an illustrated version of the story of the Buddha on the night of his enlightenment. And it is said that on that night, the uh, Buddha-to-be sat down under a particular tree, making the vow after some years of serious meditation practice, after which he felt, you know, I'm a very good meditator and I can really do all kinds of amazing feats of controlling my mind, he felt he still hadn't really realized what was the key to ending suffering in a human mind. And he sat down and he said, I'm not getting up until I'm free, until I've really understood. I love that because in that very text they show uh, the uh, uh, Siddhartha Gautama sitting down under a tree and with his legs crossed and with his hands down on the ground, and it says in many of the texts, and he said, I have a right to be here, just as we all do as human beings. And I love to think that. I sometimes tell people that I'm teaching that when my own mind is wobbly and I feel, what am I doing, and I'm not getting anywhere in so much practice and I still get turmoiled, I put my hands down on the floor like this and say, I have a right to be here also. I have a right to have a mind that's at ease. 
and sometimes people laugh at, at the, the um, oh, audacity of that. Do you really think that you're going to become uh, enlightened just like the Buddha? He apparently said, I'm not getting up from here until I'm completely free. So I'm doing that same thing, and people say, hey, you putting yourself in that same category? I said, well, why not? You know, why should I sit here and say, well, I might feel better and I might not, and who knows about how powerful this practice is, maybe I'll get halfway. Why not? Nobody marks me down for audacity and say, okay. And it actually picks up my own heart. Hey, I have a right. We all have a heart. The big thing about the Buddha is that he was a human being, and we all are human beings, and we have the capacity, which is the amazing capacity of human beings to have hindsight and foresight and an automatic um, moral uh, compass that I mentioned last night. That's an amazing thing to have. And I think uniquely we have that. I don't know for sure about other animals, but I know for sure about human beings. We have a moral compass. We have hindsight and foresight. We can see ourselves and the irony of our situation and the ways in which we struggle uh, to no avail, to have the life we think we're going to want to have. And, you know, that really the clear mind and the good heart is really the mind and the heart that I want to have. And the, the, the key uh, phrase of the Metta Sutta, wishing in gladness and in safety, I think is the key phrase for understanding what it is that we're doing here both in the hall and in the dining room and in your room and walking around and doing your retreat and job, all day long we have a chance to say, am I dwelling in gladness and in safety? And that every technical thing that we do, whether it's resting in the breath, coming and going, if, that, if that's a comfortable way for you to find yourself at ease, glad and safe, resting in the making of wishes, prayers, blessings for other people, which soothes the mind and heart. When you think about it, it's an automatic, um, it's the automatic uh, antidote to any afflictive feeling in the mind is the ability to bless. You think about it, bless yourself or somebody else, you can't be angry and bless at the same time. It's like driving your car in forward and reverse at the same time. It won't go. In order that really, it's the antidote to every afflictive mind state. The afflictive mind states that we have towards other people. I don't like this one. I don't want this to happen. And the afflictive mind states that we have about ourselves. I'm not doing this right. I shouldn't have come. I'm not getting anywhere. Say, sweetheart, you'll be all right. Relax. Everything is okay. The thing is, that requires only the reflexive movement of the heart towards oneself. It doesn't require thinking it over. If you start to think, well, you know, I'll never get this, it's too hard, other people doing it better, this, that. Just, sweetheart, you'll be all right. And I keep, actually, I notice that my, I'm not planning to move my arm. <laughs> but it moves. It's just like you'd pick up a baby. You say, sweetheart, it's all right. Relax. We're just being people. You're just having a mood. You're just having a thought. That's what people have. Relax. Take another breath. Take another breath. And for oneself, may I feel safe. May I feel content. 
May I feel strong. May I live with ease. It's wonderful to have a set of phrases that's one that you always use so that you don't have to think, what will I say now? I hope you've chosen a set of blessings that you can say most of the time for most anyone that's not too hard to remember, that resonates with your heart and your body. I like to say safe and content and strong and ease because those are all feelings that I can feel in my body. And so when I say it, I try to say it in a way that I feel resonates with me. When I say, may I feel safe, I don't rush on to the next phrase. May I feel safe? May I feel content? May I feel strong? May I live with ease? Maybe even sometimes a little bit longer of a space because I'm waiting to have my body echo back to me, my body and my heart and my mind, echo back to me that feeling. We did it in a few of the groups yesterday. Say, okay, everybody, just say to themselves, may I feel safe? Safe, safe, safe. Stay with safe until you feel it in your body. I always think of it as calling down a well and the well echoes back to you or calling across a canyon and the canyon echoes back to you. You're calling across your mind and your mind will echo it back for you. Your mind knows how safe feels and your mind knows how content feels and how strong feels. Actually, when I say, may I feel strong, each time I come around to that, my body sits up a little stronger. It just does. And may, may I live with ease. I don't feel that so strongly because it doesn't exactly correlate with a body feeling. But that's all right. It's my placeholder for coming back around to may I feel safe. The important thing is the idea of a placeholder so we come back. Continuity is really the most important thing I can say about doing this practice. Not continuity of phrase necessarily, because we're not, we're not making ourselves into phrase machines, but continuity of attention to what's present, which is helped by saying for some substantial amount of time during the day, those phrases of consolation. They are phrases of consolation. Don't they make you feel better when you say that to yourself and you really feel that? You say that to somebody that you love, a benefactor of yours, you think about anybody, maybe the people next to you as you look around, may you feel safe. But mostly for today, really to stay with oneself and with one's benefactor, if that works for you. And it's both the saying over and over and over again, which creates a certain um, steadiness of mind. It's very like the steadiness that comes when we are doing uh, anapana practice, uh, attention to the breath. It's the same phrases and they come around and come around and come around. It's like the breath comes around and around and around. And to the degree that the attention can stay resting with them, then the whole mind relaxes, the body relaxes. And when it does, we feel better about ourselves and we feel better about everyone else. We feel better about the group. We feel better about whatever the weather is. We feel better about the lunch. 
just because we feel better. It's a way of really um, comforting your mind. I like very much that teaching from uh, Nikki Freeland. We content ourselves. You find a storm arises in your mind. Oh, a storm has come up. I don't feel happy. Okay, may I feel safe. May I feel content. May I feel strong. May I live with ease. And over and over. It does two things. It causes the attention to become more more, um, concentrated, more steady, more likely to slip off in different directions. And it causes the attention at the same time to be brighter and more alert to what's going on. We are simultaneously developing both concentration and mindfulness. They enhance each other. They're inextricably part of one another. If you had a question, uh, some people had questions yesterday about getting bored with the same phrases over and over again. Uh, There's two ways to think about that. If it gets a little... Uh, I know that I'm uh, not paying good attention when I start to say my phrases in a peculiar way. I learned that early on. When I first began to practice, one of my phrases was, may I be free of danger. That was the first phrase that we said. And then we had three other somewhat arcane phrases. And I said them over and over again, zillions of times it felt like. And at one point I was sitting and I thought I was paying good attention. And I said, may I be full of danger. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, my mind must be a little tired now. You know, that, uh, it's just like you're, you're with the breath, and you're with the breath, and then you're with the breath, and the next minute you're in Hawaii with your family having a good time, and you don't know how you got there. So the mind slips off when it's, when it's not really focused. The attention slips off when it's not really focused and not really concentrated. So it's just to say, whoops, not not awake enough. What can I do now? What I try to do often is I say my phrases with different intonation. So I say, if I'm thinking about, say, my benefactor, and I think, may you feel safe. May you feel safe. I think how special that person is to me. May you feel safe. I really mean that. So I, I give, I say the same words, and I say them with a different ardency. So it wakes up my mind. There's plenty of ways to stay with what you're doing and make it more interesting. May I leave a whole breath in between one phrase and the next to see if there's an echo space. There's lots of room to be creative with your intention to stay focused on keeping the mind a place of gladness and safety. I think of mindfulness and metta as being connected in many ways. We'll talk more about it. One of them uh, that really makes the point that they're the same is that when we practice mindfulness, especially on retreat, we talk a lot about mindfulness of the breath and of the body. When we're practicing loving kindness, we are practicing mindfulness of the presence and or absence of goodwill in the mind. 
it's, it's really, it's a mindfulness of another aspect of our experience. So I think we'll sit now so we have enough time to sit for a while. Try whatever you can to stay as present as you can. I was talking in one group yesterday with how the, the mind frequently... I think this might be helpful. If I want to walk from Times Square to Columbus Circle, which is up Broadway for a number of streets, I know where I'm starting and I know where I'd like to be, but there are a lot of movie theaters on the way, and I could start to, I could start to walk, and if I, I'm not clear about where am I going, I could suddenly walk into a movie and see a story right here. I say, whoops, I'm in the movies. Okay, back out. I'm going forward now. Now, whoops. I stepped into another movie by mistake. I'm forward and whoops, another movie. Now I'm in a realm. I'm in a different realm. I'm in the realm of annoyance. Okay, here we go. I'm going to 59th Street. Let's keep on going. What we're going towards is feeling glad and safe. You can always smile, which will make you feel in the moment. So just as a start, Take a breath in, sit up tall, let your breath out, and smile. Now you're on your own.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.